God our Father and from our Lord Jesus, dear friends. Part of God's word that we'll give our attention to today comes from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16. Since it is a record of our Savior's words, I invite you to please stand for our reading. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the gospel of our Lord. Please be seated. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. It's hard to imagine how badly he needed to hear those words. It had been a roller coaster for Jesus and his disciples over the past year or so. You know the stories. With five loaves of bread and two small fish, Jesus had fed more than 5,000 people, and they were ready to make him their king. After he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, there were whispers that he might be the promised one. Even the laws of nature bowed before him as he walked on water and commanded a storm to stop. And so it's no wonder, maybe, that wherever the Good Shepherd went, flocks of people turned out to see him and to hear him. For a while. But then they began to turn away. And why? Well, it seems like because Jesus offered them too much. They didn't want the bread of life. They only wanted bread on their table. They didn't want the Son of God come down from heaven. They just wanted a valiant leader to rally the people and establish a sort of heaven here on earth. It was too much for so many of the people to believe that simply by trusting in Jesus, they could be united with the Father in heaven forever. So after these things, the Apostle John tells us that many of Jesus' disciples turned back and no longer followed him. In fact, things got so bad that Jesus turned to the twelve, his closest ones. He said, you do not want to leave too, do you? There wasn't much time left. Very soon, the apathy of the crowds would turn to hatred in Jerusalem. 
And so Jesus took his disciples far away from Jerusalem, far away even from Galilee. He took them to the region of Caesarea Philippi, way up in the north. Just Jesus, his disciples, and this question. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? Well, you are the Messiah, son of the living God. Hard to imagine how badly he needed to hear those words, especially at this time. To know that after all of the disappointment, all of the desertion, all of the opposition, that it wasn't a complete loss. Of course, the he who needed to hear these words was not Jesus, it was Peter. Jesus knew full well that the path of his life was going to lead from the manger to the cross. He wasn't surprised when many followers deserted him. He wasn't shocked that there were many who refused to accept the claims that he made. He anticipated the hatred and the threats and the rejection. He knew that as dark and as ugly as things got, it was all part of the path that would end with his eternal glory. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Peter, who needed to hear those words, and even though they came out of his own mouth, he didn't come up with them. They were put there by God, the Holy Spirit. But he needed to hear these words because he had heard the way that the world around him answered the question of who Jesus is. A great prophet, maybe. A great preacher or teacher, some kind of miracle worker. But by God's grace, Peter knew that Jesus was someone way more than that. It's hard though, right? Because we also hear the answers that the world gives to this question of who Jesus is. At best, there are many who maybe believe that Jesus was a good man and a good example for us to follow. At worst, there are plenty of people who believe that Jesus was some kind of delusional prophet that led many naive people astray and continues to do so to this very day. And it's especially hard when we hear those opinions and others like them coming out of the mouths of close friends or family members. But what about you? Do you think Jesus smiled? Peter gave his answer. You see it, Peter. You see what so many people in our world miss. He says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Listen to what you're saying, Peter, because this didn't come from the world around you. This didn't come from your own logic and reason. Now this came from God himself. Peter, you've seen some pretty impressive miracles over the years, but understand that this is one of the greatest that you have come to see and know me as your only Savior from sin. 
That confession, Peter, is the Father's gift to you. That focus on who Jesus is and what he has come to do, that's ultimately what God wants for his people, for his church. But you know, this gift, this great miracle that God works, is also at times pretty easy to overlook and to take for granted. But God has worked this miracle in abundance right here. I'm talking about you and me. The fact that despite what the world around us says, we make this confession that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. This is the Father's gift to us as well. It had to be because we could have never come up with it on our own. Praises that ring out in this sanctuary. The confessions of faith that are made here week after week. The very fact that you are here sitting in these pews this morning is proof. It's proof of the fact that you believe that Jesus is someone more than a good teacher or a good example. Otherwise, why would you bother? No, you're convinced that God kept His promise. That in Jesus, God Himself came in the flesh to live the godly life that we could not and to die the death that we deserve. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. What a gift. And what an amazing miracle that we believe this. This is what God's vision for the church is. That it be a place where the people are focused on one. The one who came to save them. The one who came to save all. But now having received that gift, understanding the miracle that God has worked in our hearts, we also have to recognize that God wants to do that same thing for many others. And the fact is, He wants to use us to help accomplish that. But of course, we're not the most important part of that process or that equation. It's the message about Jesus, the, the confession about Him that we make in this world. That's where the focus always has to remain because that's where the power lies. But it's not always easy to remember that. And when we're sharing the gospel with somebody for the first time, if we're focused on ourselves, it can be easy for us to begin to think that it all kind of depends on us. It depends that we say things in the right way. Or that we share this truth passionately enough to convince someone. If we're focused on ourselves, it can be easy to get discouraged and afraid. How can I stand against the world out there? How can I hope to answer the objections and the questions that are certainly going to come? How can I adequately express the love that God has shown me to people who have never experienced it before? We have to remember where the power lies. Keep our focus there. Peter didn't always do that. I mean, when he was up here in Caesarea Philippi, 
His heart must have swelled with joy as he proudly confessed that Jesus is the Son of the living God. But only a couple of months later, that confession was nowhere to be found. As Peter stood alone in the courtyard of the high priest while Jesus stood on trial, he was discouraged and afraid. This time the question came from a servant girl. She said, you also were with Jesus of Galilee, weren't you? This time, however, Peter was more concerned about himself rather than making the good confession about Jesus. He was focused on one, but it was on the wrong one. Three times he denied Jesus, even calling down an oath to back up his statement. I don't know the man. Can we relate to Peter? Are there times when we find ourselves a little more concerned about the confessors ourselves than about the good confession that God has called us to make? Maybe there's a good friend or neighbor that just opens the door up wide for us. A great opportunity to share the good news about Jesus with them. And somehow or another we find a way to change the subject. Maybe we're afraid about how they're going to react to what we have to tell them. Maybe we're afraid of how it's going to change the dynamic of this otherwise very comfortable relationship that we have with them. Maybe like Peter, we're afraid where that confession could lead us in the future. Or maybe at times we just kind of get tired of making that good confession because we haven't seen a lot of success from it. We've shared the good news with our family and friends again and again, but it doesn't seem to matter much to them. Maybe they still politely listen to the things that we have to say, but then they just continue on as they always have. And so when that next opportunity presents itself, maybe we just kind of clam up, keep quiet, why bother? The reason why God wants His church to be focused on one, to clearly confess who Jesus is and what He has come to do, is because He knows that this is the only one who can overcome the opposition and the apathy that we will surely face as we share this message in the world. Jesus says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. When past failures and their memories are kind of ringing in our ears, we have to remember what Jesus says here. You will fail and fall at times. Peter certainly did. The confessor is sometimes going to be weak, but the confession is always strong. The rock on which Jesus builds his church is not Peter. Rather, it's the good news about Jesus. That's what changes things. That's what changes hearts. Remember the way that Jesus so compassionately and tenderly restored Peter after his great fall and then used him again to build that church. He does the same for each one of us. He says, return to me. I have forgiven you. Leave your failures behind and go out and continue to make that good 
confession. And do it with confidence in what He, rather than you, can accomplish through it. Not even the gates of Hades will overcome it. Some people see in this picture the idea of all these evil, wicked things flowing out of the gates of hell and assaulting the church in this world, but the church stands firm in the face of all of that. And while that's certainly true, when the Bible talks about gates, it's usually not talking about what's coming out of them. Rather, it's talking about the doors that try to keep conquerors from going into them. And so the picture that Jesus has in mind here is of the church on the offensive of the church advancing in this world with nothing able to stop it, not even the gates of hell itself. Whether we see it or not at times, this message of who Jesus is and what He has done to save us is winning victories over Satan. The world can say what it will. It can ignore, it can harass, it can even put to death faithful confessors. But that message is still winning souls for God's kingdom. Maybe it's a close friend that you have tormented by guilt, explaining to you that you don't know the things that they've done, sins that they've committed. And you get to share with them the one who never sinned. The one who came to take all of their sins away. And through that confession, God reaches through those gates of hell and grabs another one for His kingdom. Or maybe it happens in a much more simple way. You look at your spouse or a child who has sinned against you and you get to say to them, Jesus forgives you. So do I. And you get to hear those same words when the tables are turned. More victories are won. Not even the gates of hell can stand against this message. This clear focus on who Jesus is and what He has come to do is God's gift to us that saves us from our sins and opens the kingdom of heaven to all. May we always be the church that God envisioned. Church that's focused on one. The only one can save. Amen. And may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.